this morning, we have the pleasure, absolute pleasure to hear from one of our very own um, Melissa Schneider, who will be continuing our series, our Problem of God series. And so this morning's text comes from Luke 24, verse 13 to 21. If, if, can you stand if you're able uh, for the reading of God's word? Reading from Luke 24. That very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. And while they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, what is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still looking sad. Then one of them named Cleopas answered him, are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? And he said to them, what things? And they said to him, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. The word of the Lord. Good morning. About six years ago now, I was living in China with my sort of new husband, Um, I didn't have a work visa, hallelujah, um, and I had time on my hands. And so I decided to pursue a business idea that I'd had a couple years before. I wanted to create a lifeline for people in that like horrible part of dating where you've had a fun date with someone, you really liked them, you haven't heard in a few days, you're like obsessively checking all your phones and messages, um, and you're just wondering like, where's this going? Um, And I wanted to give people answers, you know, access to comparison data, checkups, something objective so they could figure out, like, is this normal? Am I just being ghosted? Is it something in between? Um, And so I made this service. It was called LoveWise. And it combined these, like, DIY feedback tools with, like, coaching if you wanted to get, like, help being more strategic in dating. Now, spoiler alert, I don't know if it's actually up there. The topic for today is actually failure and disappointment. Um, So (laughs) you'll hear a bit more about my story a little bit later. But I wanted to introduce LoveWise so that I could sort of like limit um, this idea of failure and disappointment because there's a lot of ways to fail and get disappointed. But what I want to talk about today is the kind of failure where you actually go for something. You know, you have a dream, a longing, a vision, um, a hope. You really try and it doesn't work out. Um, I'll give you some examples from just people I know. You apply to 13 med schools and none accept you. You launch a startup, a small business, a restaurant, and it fails. You wait and wait for that person that you know God has told you is the one to want to date you, but they never do and they get engaged to somebody else. You pitch your novel or your screenplay to 103 agents and nobody buys it. You try out every year for the high school basketball team and you never make it. You try to start a church and it folds. You try and try to get pregnant and start a family and you don't conceive. Failure and disappointment are not only devastating, but they also bring up difficult spiritual questions. Like, why would God have given me this talent, this dream, this desire, if I was just going to fail pursuing it? Um, If you're more cynical, you might say, like, why would God set me up like this? And so to start to unpack these questions a little bit, I want to look to a story of failure from the New Testament. 
Um, so Jeremiah had read this first passage, um, sort of known as the road to Emmaus. Um, and just for a little context, these two um, disciples who are walking along are not part of the core. You know, they're not like the one of the 12. Um, they're sort of part of this larger group of people that are following Jesus by the end of his ministry. Um, it's three days since Jesus has died. And, you know, he sort of appears to them. They don't recognize him and they're telling him what's going on. Um, and the part I want to really focus on is where they tell him, like with these sort of downcast eyes, that we had hoped he was the one who would redeem Israel. And so that might not immediately mean anything to you, but what they're talking about is this expectation that Jesus was going to overthrow Roman rule. You know, they were an occupied people at that time. Um, they wanted him to bring Israel back to its former glory as an independent nation. Um, and from this passage, we know this wasn't just like some like crazy idea that the disciples had and whispered about with each other. Um, but this was something discussed and shared as a hope by all of Jesus's close followers at the time. And so they're telling this like stranger on the road about this hope that they had had and the disappointment that they're feeling consequently. Um, other gospel writers capture some other emotions from those first few days after Jesus's death. Um, in John 20, it may be up on the screen, um, we see fear. Um, the verse, verse 19 says, on the evening of that first day of the week when the disciples were together with the door locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, dot, dot, dot. Um, I'd never really thought about it before, but they were probably afraid that they might come for them next. You know, if Jesus was guilty and worthy of crucifixion, they were following him. They were like the part of the gang, so to speak. Um, and so they were terrified. Mark, another gospel writer, remembers um, that morning of the third day after Mary Magdalene has gone to the tomb and seen Jesus, and she goes back and tries to tell people about it. Um, and in verse 10, she says, uh, it says, she went and told those who had been with him who were mourning and weeping. When they heard that Jesus was alive and that she had seen him, they did not believe it. Afterwards, Jesus appeared in a different form to two of them while they were walking in the country. This sort of harkens back to that Emmaus passage. These two returned and reported it to the rest, but they didn't believe them either. So to recap, we have a group of people who are terrified. They're in mourning. They're feeling already just within a couple of days hardened. You know, they're not willing to like get excited about possible good news. Um, they can't risk being let down again. And that makes me think that it's not just grief, right? They're feeling something a little bit deeper. Um, they're feeling failure. And the point I want to make first this morning is that it's really their expectations of Jesus that caused them to experience his death as a failure. There's always the event in life, and then there's our very personal reaction to it. Jesus had died. That was a fact. They had witnessed it. Many other people had. But it was their expectation of Jesus that layered that event with meaning for them. Jesus can't overthrow the Romans if he's dead, right? And so for them, his death likely prompted just a deluge of crushing thoughts and fears. Um, you know, had they picked the wrong man? You know, we know from scripture and historical texts that other like messiahs had come along, come and gone. And had they just spent three years following a charlatan? We know they had neglected their families to be on the road traveling with Jesus. Um, we know Peter was married because in Matthew, his mother-in-law gets healed. Um, we have the scene where James and John like leave their dad in the boat to follow Jesus. So presumably he has to feed the family and sell fish by himself. Um, 
And for all of the disciples um, at that time, they lived in extended families. You know, an able-bodied man would have had somebody, depending on him, um, needing his help. And so you can just imagine them thinking, like, what are we going to tell them that we've been doing with our time? Lastly, they'd neglected their trades. Um, We know that Luke was a physician, Matthew a tax collector. Um, Others' disciples were fishermen. And it's sort of like having a three-year gap on your resume. Um, They were probably also young men, because people who were going to follow a rabbi, thank you, um, were likely like younger than 30, might not have been married. And so they might have been missing out on a chance to be an apprentice or even to get married. Um, And so there was certainly some big opportunity cost to following Jesus if they had picked the wrong man. And you can just hear them starting to tell the story differently the way we do after a failure. Something like, you know, there was this guy, he came up to me in the marketplace and he convinced me to leave my livelihood and follow him. He was so persuasive and charismatic. I was just drawn in. I didn't really think about how it would impact my family and my parents. I just, I just thought he could be the one who would free us. And I wanted that so badly. I was, I was a fool. Their expectations of Jesus caused them to experience his death as a failure. In the weeks that follow the resurrection, they start to change. We see some progression in the way they think about the event they've experienced. Um, I pulled out a couple of quick verses just to capture the points in the progression. Um, So we see at the end of Matthew, he talks about the Great Commission. Um, And so these 11 disciples have gathered in Galilee. Um, They go to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. So normally when we read that passage, like in other Bible study contexts, it's like this inspiring great commission. Um, And I'd never really noticed that Matthew mentioned that some doubted. Um, It was like a lot to process, right? Um, Especially because they weren't expecting Jesus to rise again. They didn't really get the message yet. So seeing Jesus once didn't erase all the confusion. Um, Let's look at another passage from John. Um, He recounts uh, Jesus appearing to the disciples multiple times. So they've already seen him twice, the risen Jesus. And then we get this story in John 21. Afterwards, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee, and it happened this way. Simon Peter, who we call Peter, Thomas, Nathaniel, the sons of Zebedee, which would have been James and John, and two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish, Peter says, and they all say, we'll go with you. So they go out, get into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Now, I mean, they were fishermen. Jerusalem is by the water. It's very possible they had fished while they were following Jesus just for practical purposes, but we don't really hear about it in Scripture. And so you have to wonder, like, why why is John writing about it right now? The way I read it, it sounds to me like Peter was going back to his livelihood, like he didn't really know what else to do at this point. Um, In modern-day terms, it's sort of like firing up LinkedIn, you know, to see where your old contacts have landed when your current thing isn't really working out. And so Jesus meets them on the shore that morning. Um, he, it's like the third time they've seen him. 
he blesses their failed attempt to fish. He's like, try the other side. And they get like this huge catch. He cooks them breakfast. Um, and then this is sort of John's version of the Great Commission. He invites them to basically spend their lives teaching people about him, feeding his sheep, as he calls it. And so, you know, they're kind of starting to view the failure differently. They're starting to make sense of the event, um, to make meaning. Fast forward a few more weeks, kind of the last point in this progression. Um, this is from uh, the gospel writer Luke, and he tells the story of Pentecost, the giving of the Holy Spirit six weeks after Jesus's death. And by this time, we see Peter as a transformed person. Um, he and the disciples have this like amazing morning. Um, they're you know preaching in the streets. They're drawing a crowd. They heal this old man. And eventually they get called up in front of the Sanhedrin, um, which, as you may recall, is the frightening Jewish authority that had presided over Jesus's trial a few weeks before, and surely the very body against whom they had locked the door in those couple of days after Jesus's death. So here's what we read in Acts. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers and elders of the people, if we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who was lame and are being asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, of Nazareth, you know, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Jesus is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. Salvation is found in no one else. There is no other name in heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. So what a transformation from disappointed, fearful, grief-stricken failures who are sort of going back to fishing because they have nothing better to do, to spirit-filled men with a clear vision of who Jesus was and what he's calling them to do with their lives in answer. And so the second point I want to make this morning is that getting to know Jesus more deeply transformed their expectations of him. It transformed that lens through which they were making meaning of their lives. And I think it does the same for us. So at this point, we don't really hear them ever talk again about overthrowing the Romans. And as you may know from history, the Roman Empire lasted for a couple of centuries after their lifetime. Um, Israel didn't become a state until after World War II. And so clearly their first dream, they had to let it die. They had to bury it and mourn it. And I tend to think that's what those six weeks were about. That They just needed a moment to like catch up and process what had happened. But we never again see them talking about Jesus bringing political salvation. Instead, amazingly, they have this much deeper understanding of what Jesus was about, that he actually came to heal and to save them. Uh, that's what the word salvation means in the original language, to heal and to save. And so he came to beat death, to rescue them back from its clutches, um, and not just like later when they died, um, but they were following a Jesus who could help them heal a man who was lame in public, um, who could free them from things like fear of the Sanhedrin um, and really bring about like a different way of living for them. And they're just so amazed, so on fire, so grateful, so excited um, that they just want other people to grasp this message. Um, and so within two months of Jesus's death and resurrection, we see them beginning the ministry that will occupy them for the rest of their lives getting to know Jesus more deeply transformed their expectations of him 
and gave them a new mission. And so I'd like to take it even one step further. I want to suggest today that this experience of failure was actually critical for the disciples to see Jesus in a new way, to sort of reimagine their relationship with him. I think if they hadn't had to go through the process of losing Jesus as a daily companion, um, if they didn't have to mourn and bury that like original vision they had of overthrowing the Romans, um, if they didn't have to feel fear and grief and pain, then they wouldn't have been forced to ask the questions that they clearly hadn't asked in the three years of following Jesus. Of following Jesus. Um, things like, well, if Jesus isn't going to bring us this first dream that we had in mind, then what are we following him for? And what is Jesus about if he's not trying to overthrow the Romans? What is what is he talking about with this kingdom stuff? What else did he tell us? Did we miss something? And so the answer in their case is a resounding like, yeah, you missed something. Um, and it often is for us too. So the third point I want to make is that failure and disappointment offers to transform our relationship with God and ourselves in a way that few other things can. Um, And believe me, I wish it was not that way. But failure and disappointment, they hurt mightily, right? And pain is one of the few things that can make us re-examine how we think the world works. It makes us ask new questions and work out a new understanding of God that somehow has room for what we've been through. So, let me go back to my own story for a few minutes. Um, so I spend these like last few months in China, like building this service. Um, it launches in April of 2014. And I was already pretty like stressed and fearful before it launched. Like, what if it wasn't going to work? Um, my first month was actually okay. I got some traffic. I got some users who were paying for coaching. Um, but by the summer, just a couple of months later, traffic had really dropped off and I was making just like a couple of hundred dollars a month. It's certainly not like a salary. Um, and I really just like honed in on those numbers. Um, that was the identity piece for me. I just felt awful about not making money. Um, I thought constantly about like the cost of the website and how I was like behind. Um, and I didn't have like much of a marketing plan, mind you. I just had like one ad up on like a content website. Um, I like the idea of raising capital sounded terrifying. It's like, I don't want to talk to investors and do like a seed. I don't even know what that means. Um, you know, like that was just beyond me. I applied to a couple of like startup incubator type things where you might get like $20,000 like that I could manage. Um, but really what I wanted was just for it to like work, you know, (laughs) like, yay. Um, and a big surprise to my like social worker self was that my identity was so tied to like a paycheck that, that had a number on it that was high enough in my mind. Um, that was the main way I measured success. It turned out, or at least without that, I couldn't really see what I was doing as valuable. Um, and so I really just imploded. Um, you know, by the end of the summer, I was at like a real low point. I hadn't slept well in months. I developed sciatica for the first time, which is something I still deal with from time to time. Um, I would wake up with that like (gasps) sort of stress hit where you remembered that you had this like disaster um, that you were trapped in. Um, And, you know, looking back, it's like, it doesn't look that bad. (laughs) But in the midst of it, um, it was just a very dark time. And failure can really do that to you, right? It's like all those 
pins of your identity are being kind of like pulled up um, and, and you just start to fall apart. And so I wish I had like a lovely story to tell you about going to Jesus and getting my identity straightened out and one like mountaintop experience followed by a miraculous lifting of shame and anxiety, but it definitely didn't happen that way. Um, I was kind of just too far under to navigate well. Um, and I also just had a lot of trouble telling people what I was going through um, because I felt so ashamed. And so I did pray and ask God for help, but it wasn't like a season where I could have a good quiet time or really like receive much from him. Um, I couldn't go to God. He really had to come to me, sort of like Jesus showing up to make the disciples breakfast. Um, And soon after that period, things started to shift. Um, A nonfiction book I had written in China got published. It's like another story. Um, But I was mercifully distracted by like book parties and some public readings and events. Um, I finally thought to put an ad on Psychology Today about my services, and local people started calling, um, wanting to book sessions, talk about relationship issues. So I got busy. By October, I was earning that magic number that made me feel okay again, um, and the worst of the anxiety lifted. But it didn't fully satisfy me because it wasn't like LoveWise was working, right? I just put an ad up and people wanted to talk to me. Um, and so it, it kind of felt like cheating. Um, but my pride was somewhat assuaged. I started to recover. After a few months of working with couples on evenings and weekends, because that's when couples are available, um, I craved more of a normal schedule. And when an offer the next spring came along to be the on-site counselor at a big bank in the city, um, I took the job. I think at that point, I really just craved like structure, coworkers, um, a regular paycheck with the same number every month, uh, being done at five. Um, but I think I also just needed to take a break from what I had been through because I hadn't really stopped it. Um, all of this was sort of my way of like slowly tiptoeing away from LoveWise, being like, don't look over there, um, you know, without having to shut it down or admit it hadn't worked or tell people like, I'm done with this chapter, I'm doing something else now. Um, I didn't face the failure. And so it lingered like so much longer than necessary because of that. So there are a couple of things I wish I had done differently and sort of back to this question of like, is there a spiritual roadmap to deal with a failure? Um, I certainly don't have anything as formal as a roadmap, but here are a couple of ideas. Um, you know, I think first, if you're in a season like this, if you suspect it's time to cut your losses, um, then try to engage in an active decision-making process. Um, you know, I think one thing that's hard about a dream is that you never really know if you should like kind of shut it down or if you should think of some new amazing strategy that will like turn it all around. Um, and then the more time and money you invest in it, the harder it is also to to shut it down. And so I really wish I'd just sat down with a couple of people to talk or pray to say, what do you think? Like, here's the situation, um, just to get some better feedback and to really make a clear decision to either like move forward with new ideas or wrap it up, say that didn't work and look for a job. Um, instead, I lingered in like a limbo state that I just think was damaging if you do decide to end things, um, maybe going back to a page from the disciples book, um, invite trusted people to a burial. And by that, I mean, there can be healing in publicly acknowledging that a dream, at least this iteration of the dream has died. 
you can tell others, you can create a goodbye ritual of some kind, even if it's just shutting down your website and like, you know, putting like a flower in a garden. (laughs) Um, You know, we, similar to a funeral, right? There's something in us as humans that needs things to sort of end formally. Um, And I didn't allow myself that kind of process. Most importantly, look for Jesus. Um, His disciples weren't expecting him to show up. They didn't know that was going to happen. That wasn't their doing, right? And I believe that Jesus comes to us when we're in pain, particularly, um, that he sends people to encourage us, that he puts possibilities in our day, um, that he lifts us up. And when I look back over that time, you know, he brought so many people to just start to build me back up, you know, clients who really felt helped by our work, friends who liked my book or the website, um, old, the old colleague who offered me the job at the bank. I got reminded of my value as a person. I got built up again and I got the healing and the saving over time that I really needed. The last thing I would say is to be hesitant to judge any chapter of your life as a failure while you're in it or shortly after. Um, Years later, the disciples certainly didn't think of Jesus's death as a failure. They realized that they'd sort of read that one wrong. Um, Instead, they probably came to see it as a critical step in him carrying out his purposes on earth. Um, They certainly would have seen it as like the only way to overcome death. Um, And so that failure started to look like an important part of the puzzle. Um, And I can say similarly from my own experience as well, that these days, maybe four years out, five years out, I only faintly remember like the shame and the devastation. Um, I do think of Lovewise as kind of a failure, but like a failure that I'm proud of, sort of like a war story, you know? Um, And also I would rather have it on my record as a failure than as a regret, like, I wonder what would have happened if I did something with that idea. Um, I learned a lot about myself, about the kind of work that I thrive in, the kind of environment I should be in, the sort of business I want to run. Um, And back to those questions, um, you know, why would God give me this interest if it was just going to fail? You know, why would God set me up like this? Um, I'll share the answer, if uh, for lack of a better word, that I've sort of arrived at with God just in processing this season that I went through. Um, I really believe that God gave me this, this longing to help people find and keep and build great relationships um, just because he knew I would enjoy pursuing it, exploring it, nerding out over the research, like building something to help people. Um, I think he watched me with joy as I was sort of exploring this space um, As for the pain it caused, um, you know, with the distance of years, I can say that I no longer expect God to help me, like, skip over pain or hurry through it, Um, though I do wish that was possible. Um, But I know that I can expect him to be there with me, to give me hope. Um, And on this side of it, I also know that the pain eventually ends and you go on to feeling okay again. Lastly, in my case, and I think in many cases of this kind of failure, like a failed dream, the core seeds of the dream have actually sprouted again for me in a new way, in a different season. Um, So even though Lovewise failing was like a big heartbreak, and I'm sure at the time I never intended to open a small business again, um, I just like sort of can't stay away from the dream. So recently I ended the job in the city um, and I opened my private practice, that's what I do with all of my work time now. Um, 
and I'm still helping dating couples figure out where things are going. Um, I'm still helping married people try to strengthen their connection, rebuild, heal from hurts. Um, I no longer have awesome predictive tools on my website, maybe one day, um, but I do feel a sense of calling and purpose in my work. And I can tell that God delights in me just exploring the twists and the turns. So I want to close with an image that my sort of post-failure self now thinks of. Earlier on, I think I thought of this kind of dream like a tightrope, like you get one chance to do it. You know, there's like a proper step that comes after each step. And if you do it wrong, then you fall off. Um, And in the end, my dream turned out to be more like a lush garden that God had just put in my life for me. Um, The sort of place you can explore and meander over the years. Maybe I'll find a whole new section next year. Maybe I'll just take a nap in the sun. Um, You know, whatever it is, I'm not really afraid to explore it anymore. I'm not afraid to fail. Um, And I think that's the real gift that God has given me through this experience um, and that I hope he could bring to anyone who's going through something like this. Let me say a quick prayer for us while the band comes back up. So Lord, um, you know any here today who are dealing with some kind of failure, be it current or something they haven't processed from the past. Um, Lord, I pray that you would show them that experience with your eyes, God, um, that you'd bring encouragement, um, an ease of the pain, and just comfort, um, as well as wisdom. And so we just um, ask your blessing over this time today, Lord, um, and just pray that you would um, feed your sheep, God, as you asked of Peter. Um, And we just thank you for this in Jesus' name.